Welcome back to Revelation On Demand Podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers. I'm joined by today, as usual, by Mr. Chris S. How you doing, buddy? Hey, dude, I'm good. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Life is going good. There's a lot of going on. But at the same time, you know, you just got to take a minute to praise God every day for the things you do have and for the way that things do end up working out in the end. So praise God on that note. Yeah. Yeah. And something to praise God on. We had our first listener write in, which was awesome. Uh, Thank you, Jennifer, for writing in. Uh, I really appreciate the suggestion you made, though. I'm not 100% sure on... Uh, what prophecy has been fulfilled in recent years. So something that I might have to look into a little more. As you can tell by the title today, we're going to be going into the book of Amos. And the reason I really wanted to do that was because it's a really understudied book. It's one of the minor prophets. And he kind of gets skipped over, and there's some really important stuff in here. So yes, I figured this would be a good place to go. And uh, just two things I want to say real quick. Uh, going back to our listener writing in. So first, I've been waiting mm. all week to say, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. <laughs> and secondly, I think uh, her suggestion was how we bring in modern revelation into our show and examples of modern mm. revelation. And I think that's a very feasible thing. Um and we'll mm-hmm. implement that as we go, as we do more research and we find more stories. Uh, well, you know, if any of you guys have a news outlet for like a Christian news outlet that you'd be able to forward over to us, that'd be much appreciated. And uh, we can mm-hmm. go over some of those uh, contextual things. Uh, that being said, so with um, with Amos, Mr. Myers, where exactly are we starting yeah. with this guy? So Daniel was in the the 4th century, which is about 400 years before Christ. And Amos is actually another 400 years before that about. So we're looking at a time period of roughly uh, 760. And we'll go over how exactly we know that in the first section here. So this would put Amos at the same time as the prophets Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah around the same time. So they would have known of each other. They would have known of each other's exploits. They would have known of each other's writings. So this would this would be the time period we're looking at. And he's possibly one of the earliest prophets in the Old Testament. So this this could be some of the earliest writings of the prophets. Do I do I need to I start that, using the uh, remix the quotes again? Moses. Because I believe uh, stuff that Moses wrote in the Torah would be older, right? Uh, but the stuff that uh, the prophets this would be the earliest writings of the prophets, which is kind of interesting. How this is one of the least uh, gone over books. If he is one of the earliest. Uh, so he's from the southern kingdom, which would be uh, Judah, I believe, not Israel. Mm-hmm. But he is writing a lot about Israel. So he is a prophet that was sent to Israel to tell them the things are doing wrong, as often prophets do. And uh, Amos, his name actually means burdensome or burden bearer. So 
He has this nice. heavy burden of carrying God's word to people who don't want to hear it, which is pretty typical for prophets. And uh, he he originally was a shepherd and a pretty successful one at that, as we're about to find out. Uh, so she he was a shepherd, a cattleman, and a grower fix and. He was uh, very good at this, so he, he's very much in the same line of work that I do today, uh, caring for animals. So, A reputable businessman gone mad, speaking of this godlike figure, who is God, by the way. Yes, I love it. Yep. Yep. Alrighty, well, if there's nothing else, we can dive right into scripture, if you'd be so kind. Yes, sir. Starting from verse 1. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. Judgment on Israel's neighbors, this is what the Lord says. Oh, is that a new section? Judgment of, on Israel's neighbors there, sir? No comment? Okay. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent, because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Avon and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord. Yeah, sorry, I didn't take the uh, the heading out of there. That judgment okay. on Israel's neighbors, not scripture. That's <laughs> uh, I figured that was a section title because, like, judgment on Israel's neighbors. This is what the Lord says, you know. Like, oh my gosh, I'm doing the remix thing yeah. again. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, sorry about that. You're fine. Yeah. Anyways, so the Hebrew for shepherd here, when referring to Amos, is uh, only used once else in the Bible. And it's used as a term for a guy who brings a large, uh, a large gift to the temple as a, a big livestock breeder in the area. So this is very much saying that Amos is not just some guy working for some big shepherd who's just watching someone else's sheep. This is a guy who owns many herds of sheep. So Tekoa is a little town to the south of Jerusalem. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still there today, but during this time it was a small hill town south of Jerusalem. So he was he was very close. It would have been close to the border of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, so that he would be coming from the south, but going to the north to give them uh, prophecy. 
Yes. Anyways, it mentions that two kings. Uh, yeah, no worries. It, it mentions two kings, Uzziah and Jeroboam there. And that gives us a good idea of the time period because Uzziah reigned from seven, 792 to 742. And his son Jeroboam reigned from 786 to 746. So with that overlap in, in that general time period, we have a, a much narrower uh, area where this would be taking place. And Can I try reading their names real quick? Rare? Can I try reading their names? Yeah, go oh, ahead. Me. Okay. I'm going to try reading their names like it would make sense if you didn't know how to enunciate them. <laughs> Just the last three. Tekoah. Uziah. Cheroboam. Yeah, okay. I just had there to get that out. My ADHD was just <laughs> fire there. I was like, I, I really got to know what it would sound like if I didn't try to pronounce them right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So earthquakes aren't uncommon in Jerusalem. It's a very active place, uh, tectonically speaking. So for someone to be mentioning an earthquake, it would have to be something quite, quite, uh, quite off the scale, quite unusual to use it as a, a time print sort of thing. So I could imagine people who live in California near the fault lines probably feel earthquakes very often. You know, out here in Colorado, we don't have earthquakes ever. So if we had even a little one here, we would think it's ridiculous. So I'd imagine that this was a very violent one. And uh, we do have historical proof that around 750 to 770 B.C., was they, they placed at 760, but it said that it could go a decade in either direction. Uh, so it was a particularly violent earthquake that actually left a mark in the sedimentary layers when you start digging down. And uh, so this, this gives us a good idea that uh, Amos is right around 760 when he's doing this uh, prophecy in uh, ministry to Jerusalem. Yes. And then so, Zechariah fourteen. Go ahead. Just wanted to say, Zechariah, because you're about to quote Zechariah. That is my favorite name in the Bible. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. No remix joke at all. Like I like that name a lot. Well, that's that's wonderful, because Zechariah is another one of the prophets who is placed another 250 years after Amos. And he, this earthquake gets mentioned by him in Zechariah 14.5. It says, You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. And this is Zechariah talking about the end times, when uh, God will come down a second time. And, of course, he mentions the historical uh, event of that earthquake that Amos is mentioning right here. So we, we have several points in, uh, points in history that point to this event, which makes mm. it much more uh, credible. So. Nice. And, and to think that Amos, we can, we can place Amos so so close to the time that he would have been doing this 
with just the mention of uh, one major event is pretty cool. So I agree. We see God depicted as lion roaring upon the mountain, which is often a uh, imagery that is used for when God is bringing down judgment on people. Uh, this could always go back to the the very revelation look at the end times when God brings down his, his ultimate judgment on the earth. Uh, this could also just be his regular bouts of bringing judgment down on certain places of the earth, as we've seen throughout the Bible, where, you know, stories like the sons of Korah or uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and all those sort of mini apocalypses. I mean, I guess the Noah story would have been a almost complete apocalypse, but it was definitely one of these these judgments where God said, okay, I've got to restart something. This has gone too far. This is, you know, uh, I, I can't abide by what's going on here. Where God has to intervene and, and restart something or bring down judgment upon people in a certain area. So, People. Tell you what, man, people. <laughs> so Mount Carmel is uh, a mountain on the northwest border of Israel. And is, lo- is the location, if you're familiar with the showdown between Elijah the prophet and the priests of Baal, where he challenges the priests of Baal to this kind of like God show off, showdown sort of thing, where he uh, calls down holy fire on an offering where the priests of Baal couldn't do the same. Right, with the jukebox and, uh, and a dance competition. I know. <laughs> right, right. Anyways, this is this is the mountain that he's talking about, and it's talking about it being uh, turned to ash and, and withered away. This is again judgment on the area. Carmel would have been one of these uh, mountains that shared territory, and it's a very good border border line. So, and then Damascus, we see this mentioned, and this was the capital of Syria at the time. And they pillaged the northern uh, fertile lands of Israel. So the Gilead there, or was talking, she thrust Gilead. The sledges having iron teeth. Gilead oh. is this this fertile fertile uh, farm region in Israel that is on the northern side, where they would produce most of their their crops and, and uh, cattle and whatnot. So this this would have been uh, Syria striking a, a fatal blow to a, a empire or to a country as Israel by uh, just pillaging their farmlands. So it's talking about God bringing back uh, judgment for the things that the the people around Israel and this whole section is him talking about different groups that God is going to bring down judgment upon, which is interesting that he starts with this because most prophets would, would be known for, for talking about the judgment God is going to bring upon other nations. But he's, he's talking about this so that um, the people listening to him don't completely ignore him when he's about to bring the hammer down on the people of Israel themselves in the previous chapters. 
in the following chapters. So um, we'll see. He's just trying to state a fact about the, what's going to happen to Israel's neighbors and enemies who have treated her poorly. And then we're going to see how he, he starts saying, yeah, and if you guys don't figure your stuff out, uh, you're gonna you're gonna end up in slavery and and you're gonna end up serving these people these terrible people around you before their judgment. So, which is just we'll see, he's just wonderful. Yeah, right. So that that area that uh, Damascus is in, I think it's still in the same place today. Is is where modern day Syria and Lebanon is. Yes. And again, this would this would be the capital of Syria at the time. Shall we dive into the next section, or you got anything else to ask or add? I was just going to ask real quick. So, if we're talking about all this, where does Mount Zion tie in? When it says the Lord Mount roars Zion. from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem, obviously we're talking about him as the embodiment of the lion. Uh Though what I guess would be the origin story of Zion, because I thought for the longest time that was originally brought up in Revelation alone with a few tiebacks. Is this the first mention of Zion or is it a later chronology? I don't know if it's the first mention. I think it's been mentioned several times in the Old Testament. But when whenever it's talking about Zion, it's not necessarily talking about a real mountain. It's talking about the mountain that is the mountain that God sets on. So this would be the metaphorical or or legitimate mountain that God is on top of that that the highest place of all high places. Like this is Zion is supposed to be the kind of in between earth and heaven sort of thing. This 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 structure, this this natural wonder. Okay, so it's that not makes always necessarily talking about a specific mountain. Mount Carmel is a real mountain. It's talking about a real location. Whereas whenever it talks about Zion, it's just talking about where the Lord is like locationally is. Yeah. I mean, speculative, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll keep that in mind. Uh, I think the origin of Zion, now that you mentioned that would actually originally tie back to when we talk about very early in the Bible about idolatry and how Mm -hmm. a storm of thunder and ash came down on people who lived on the base of a mountain and who were all worshiping their own idols very early on in the Bible. Um, So that would make sense where the ascendance comes from and as far as Zion in the New Testament, the reason why I was led to a different impression is because Mount Zion mm. is an actual embodiment at that point on earth in the New Testament where um, the mm. new believers or the reformed, however you want to call them, the, the saved post-rapture people are all going to culminate on mm. Mount Zion so they can be saved and it's exempt and it's a safe haven. Um, but there's a, there's a pilgrimage, all sorts of good stuff. All right, so that does tie it in. Yeah. Okay, and okay, yeah. <laughs> I just had to yeah, double check and, on and, that. And not, not, yeah, I was, I'm not saying that Mount Zion isn't a real mountain. There is a mountain named Zion, but whenever the Bible's referring there to is. it, especially when it's talking about God and talk and, and being on Mount Zion, it's not always necessarily talking about the Mount Zion. Not to mention, there's a lot of dispute over which mountain should be Mount Zion. So, um, 
you know, oh. you got that bag of worms too, and you're, you're talking. I'm glad I got saved so. pre rapture then because I won't. I don't want to <laughs> climb Everest. <laughs> uh. Yeah, that could be Mount Zion for all we know. But that, that's when that's what I was trying to get at is that when it's when the Bible, when especially in the Old Testament, is referring to Mount Zion, it doesn't always mean a specific mountain. And maybe maybe those people would have a specific mountain in mind. But um, there is a lot of dispute on what mountain is Mount Zion. So uh, right. I just it's, I, I would like to stay away from that. <laughs> I don't want to don't want to get in that ring. <laughs> I'll go ask my friend in Nepal. He can tell me which one is the better one. Oh, all right. So why don't we go ahead and read into the next section, starting at verse six. This is what the Lord says for three sins of Gaza. Even for four, I will not relent because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. I will send fire on the walls of Gaza that will consume her fortresses. I will destroy the king of Ashton and the one who holds the scepter in Ashkelon. I will return. I will turn my hand against Ekron till the last of the Philistines are dead, says the sovereign Lord. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Tyr, even for four, I will not relent. Because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. I will send fire on the walls of Tyr, Tyre, however you want to say it, that will consume her fortresses. Tyre. It's actually just Tyre. I was trying to guess we'll like four different first. pronunciations there. <laughs> We'll start with Gaza, yeah, though, yeah. It's just tire, like the tire of a car. Anyways, Gaza. So this is one of the five cities of the Philistines at the time. It also uh, mentioned Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Ekron, which are more the cities of the, 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 the Philistines, which are this group of people who are involved in the slave trade at the time. And these would have been Israel's... Uh, enemy, I believe one of their enemies, and they uh, they would end up selling a lot of Israelites into slavery to their neighbors just around the place. So God is bringing down his judgment upon Gaza or the Philistines for their, their terrible things that they've done. But first, uh, they will be sold into slavery. And this this is where we start getting into some of this this uh, this talk about how Israel is going to face some some trials and consequences for the things they've done. Okay, this is something real quick. So I noticed that there's kind of yeah. like an awkward overtone when we're talking about Gaza because that is still a place of a lot of conflict. And it does tie back mm -hmm. to all the way back then. I, I didn't know where in the Bible until just now uh, in Gaza. I didn't touch yeah. the Old Testament as much. So yeah. uh, that's interesting that we're talking about, you know, four major territories, how all that works. If you really do look into it, it's almost as though, like, this is a prophecy still coming true, is how much mm -hmm. this alludes to uh, all the conflict, all the different um shady activity that was going on back there so i was just thinking about that mm. yeah no the philistines are still a people today so 
uh, it's one of those things that could still be going on. This this part of prophecy could still be going on. Uh, I, I'm not well studied in the the issues between Israel and Gaza and the West Strip and all that, so uh, it'd be something I'd have to look into. I don't want to speak out of turn. Uh, so, descendants descendants is, of the Philistines are known as one country, and the descendants of so-and-so are known as another yeah. country. That's just the base of it. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, we continue on to Tyre, or Tyr, or uh, Tyre. Yo, Tyre! I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. So... Tyre is one of these uh, seaports, one of the major seaports uh, of the Phoenician uh, Empire, the Phoenician people. Uh, the Phoenicians were this group of Mediterranean uh, countries that were very, very adept at seafaring, uh, and they were they were also associated with the slave trade. So they would be many of the traders <laughs> who would take people from port to port. Um, and the brotherhood between where it says, uh, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood, there was a, uh, a treaty between King Solomon and King Hiram of Tyre. So we see that at some point King Solomon, which we know is one of the Kings of, of Israel, uh, had made a treaty with the, the kingdom of, of the Phoenicians and right. uh, at some point, that treaty would be broken, uh, and that's where it's just recording the Treaty of Brotherhood. And <coughs> excuse me, bless it. The Phoenicians would would take entire groups of Israel Israelites and just sell them into slavery. And then there's other ties between Israel and Phoenicians that may, some may uh, recognize, such as King Ahab and Jezebel, which is actually quite a well-known story in the Bible. Uh, king Ahab is one of the most evil kings that Israel ever had, and Jezebel is the reason why. <laughs> Let's start but with that. Another... <laughs> it's, it's a story for another time. We could we could make a whole episode on that. But uh, one thing I'll Jezebel say about Jezebel, though, real as... quick, if you don't mind, is Jezebel is yeah. mentioned in the oh. seven churches um, that we're talking about yeah. with the seven major stars that Jesus presents to uh, John when at the very beginning of Revelation mm -hmm. and when they're addressing all the different churches. The, it's a descendancy. Uh, with the way that, that the shift of power ended up working out in that situation, uh, where Jezebel's yeah. kingdom, yeah. essentially, uh, further down the line, is uh, mentioned as one mm. of the places of uh, corruption. Um, specifically, uh, yeah, certain I, elements that we're not going to go over today, but yeah. Yeah, and I think it's more of a, a spiritual... Uh, reference where it's saying the this kingdom will act just like Jezebel did uh, and, and it was talking she is she's become a, a an archetype she's so so well in her her uh, following the path that God God uh, yeah I don't know if I should say God said but anyway she's she's become an archetype so when we see her in Revelation, it's not necessarily talking about her because 
when Revelation is talking about is so far in the future that it can't be her. But it's saying this is the pattern that you need to look for. This is the kind of uh, this is the kind of heresy. This is the kind of uh, other god worship. This is the kind of of person that you're looking for, and her kingdom will be the one that does all these terrible things that revelation talks about. So she's just, she's married to one of the most evil Kings in the Bible. And uh, that's kind of one of her, her claims to fames, which we could literally again, spend a whole episode talking about this and what it, what it means today. But one other tie that uh, the Phoenicians had with Israel or the daughter, Ethbal and King Sidon, uh, there was a marriage between them. And then Tyre had a king named Ethbal during Ezekiel's time, which Ezekiel is another prophet at a different time than the one we are currently studying. So oh. very much there is been, there's been ties between the Phoenicians and the Israelites. And it's always been this kind of uh, not, not the greatest relationship kind of like, they, they try to get along, they try to make treaties, but they always end up uh, in war with each other. So, Well, history does tend to repeat itself in that, in that regard. Yeah. <clears throat> so why don't we go ahead and do our last section, and then um, we'll finish doing our Alrighty. details on that, and then we'll all party. Well, actually, you can party anytime. All we're, we're partying with the Lord right now. <laughs> Starting yeah. at verse 13. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Amon, even for four, I will not relent, because he ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead in order to extend his borders. I will set fire to the walls of Rabbah that will consume her fortress amid war cries on the day of battle, amid violent winds on a stormy day. Her king will go into exile, he and his officials together, says the Lord. Okay, before you jump into that... Uh, I lost my voice there for a second <laughs> because uh, it starts out uh, for three sins of Amon, even for four, I will not relent. And then he says, literally, because he ripped open the pregnant woman of Gilead. And I kind of lost my voice there for a second. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's one way to put that. <laughs> you, you missed two lines of scripture, by the way. You started at 13, not 11. Oh, okay. So... <laughs> Wow, I just went down too far. Okay, so uh, you can. You know, why don't I go ahead and start that over? If you need to, if you need to edit that out or whatnot. Um, this no, is what the, this is all going in. <laughs> <laughs> this is all okay. He's on a he's on a marriage retreat this weekend. So why don't I go ahead and do eleven to twelve? To <laughs> why don't I go ahead and read over that? the first two verses I missed real quick there. Cause I said, starting okay. at verse 13 and we're supposed to be starting at verse 11. So if you go back to verse 10, it says, I will send fire on the walls of Tyre that will consume her fortress. We were just talking about Tyre. We had talked about Amon just now. Now we, we forgot one dimension, which is Edom. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Eden, even for four, I will not relent. Because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land, because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. 
I will send fire on Taman that will consume the fortress of Basra. Man, this is uh, right, a lot of the word choice and the diction is just oh, so vivid, so warlike. Yep. Yeah, and that's because these these tribes around Israel are very warlike. So, anyways, Edom are the descendants of someone else pretty famous in the Bible, known as Esau. Which, if you don't remember who Esau is, you might remember who Jacob is. Who they were the siblings who Jacob sold a bowl of soup to Esau for his birthright. And that began the sibling rivalry that never ended, uh, which we see today still in Edom, or in, in today, not today, but uh, the time of Amos, Edom, the descendants of Esau, are still holding this grudge against Israel. Israel's the chosen nation. Edom is not. Edom was gypped of that because of Esau's choices and Jacob's slyness. So... Yes, which actually, if you go back to that story, I'm just going to address this real quick. If you go back to the story of Jacob and Esau, and you go back to their descendancy, which one prevailed in their lineage, I'm like, they both established a great lineage. But if you go back to that section of the Bible, it literally does start to state that Esau is going to have a corrupted system going for himself because he's greedy or because he doesn't like Mm. slight things that might tick him off. Jacob, he warned, Mm. the Lord warns Jacob pretty much and tells him, okay, you you know, Mm. you really need to knock this off and don't do this. And Jacob still does it. Okay. Is that the end of the argument? Pretty much. Yes. They're both, they both messed up in some way, shape or form. Let's just leave it at Mm. that. But if you go back to the way of tribalism, like you were just saying, Justin, is, you know, a lot of the simple things, we're literally talking about a bowl of soup here that resulted in war. A lot of the simple things, whether you talk to your spouse, your sibling, your friend, about that time you accidentally dropped your pencil and then someone stepped on it and it broke and you really needed to write your check or do your test, you know, that might result in a little bit of conflict. (laughs) Well, back then, in the way of tribalism, a little bit of thing turns into a big lot of thing because there's a lot of people around. And that's never a good thing. Uh, and a discussion on who is the better person in that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We were actually getting further yeah. into that. But anyway. <coughs> yeah. And it, it says there, uh, he's going to bring this judgment down on Edom because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land. So this is right. very much talking about... Uh, Esau's uh, very, very hot temper and how when Jacob first accomplished stealing his birthright, uh, Esau was looking to kill Jacob. So uh, we see that that just never quit. And even if they have made up at times, there there was still a lot of of tension between them and it has passed on to their descendants and into the uh, nations that they bore out still being in this, this, this high tension. So uh, Taman was an important Edomot city and the, the fortress of Bazara, Bazara, Bazar, anyways, uh, is the capital of Edom. So this, this is very much judgment coming down upon this, this, this nation uh, and, 
for for everything it has done and it is is paying for the sin of holding a grudge basically All right uh, and then we move on to the nation of Ammon which is uh Israel's neighbor to the east that brutally slaughtered Israel as you uh, mentioned when you lost your voice there reading about how they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend the borders. So Amen was regularly fighting with Israel over territory and territory disputes, and they were known for their brutality and just wiping out anyone in the, that area that they were fighting in. Uh, so Rabbah was the capital of Amon. And we, we see here that it, the nation is mentioned and then the capital or the major cities of that, that nation are mentioned in how, fire and destruction will be brought down upon that nation for their offenses. So okay, that makes it a little more specific. Yeah. And that, that, that that's, that's the pattern we're seeing here that, that Amos is trying to bring up. And then we will see that he's also mentioned here several times that Israel will be will taken into slavery. will be sold as slaves sort of thing, kind of foreshadowing to what he's going to go into. One last important or interesting thing as a spiritual based podcast that we're interested that we would look over uh, there at the end, it says her king will go into exile. Uh, the phrase there, their king is a Jewish term that could also be referring to the patron deity of the, the people of Amon known as Milcom. Now I couldn't find a whole lot, there's not a whole lot mentioned in the Bible. He's mentioned like three or four times, and it's very briefly talking about how this is a patron god that is evil or that is a false god or something like that. The best I could get, the closest. No, it's, yeah, they're polytheistic, right? But this 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 king Milcom would be kind of a, a king god, a father god, sort of like Zeus, Odin, Ra, or other kind of uh, these these authority father figure gods that you see in other uh, uh, pantheons or polytheistic yeah. sure. mythology. Yes, yes. So this this Milcom would have been a direct uh, challenger, kind of like Baal or. Again, Odin, Ra, or Zeus, the direct challenger to God's authority because this would have been like the God of gods sort of thing. And of course, uh, as we know, God, the proper God, uh, definitely outclasses all those those lesser father God figures. So any other that's questions or we're... shall we wrap it up for today? I was just going to say, that's another tie back into the beginning of Revelation where we're talking about um, a certain sect of the seven churches that actually, I think more than one, that had their uh, traditional beliefs, so to speak, of their pantheons as well as their adaptation of the Lord. And, you know, whether we're going back to talking about Nebuchadnezzar in the last book where he was trying to acknowledge him at first – you know, our God, the God of all gods, the King of all Kings to be, (laughs) uh, to be a set like among these other proper spiritual deities in his mind. And that doesn't work out that way. You know, these are embodiments. These are manifestations and mechanisms of mankind. They're not, uh, can they, can the culmination, can the mass, uh, uh, arbitrary, like gathering 
of this spiritual belief cause a spiritual influence? Absolutely. But we got to look at these things like Zeus, Odin, Ra, etc. Uh, whether you're talking about Shintoism, Sikhism, etc. Uh, or even uh, Vishnu. Uh, actually, I think properly it'd be Brahman for that. But uh, what do they, what do you look at these? You can't necessarily approach it like that's still a proper good thing because it's still taking a lot of spiritual enemy uh, energy and investing it into the enemy. So that's just that's not just an opinionated statement in my feeling i feel like as christians we got to recognize that sort of thing yeah there's a certain level of respect you got to do that but you know to a certain degree that's also investing in the enemy when you are inviting that sort of influence in like a lot of these origins they come from bad places and i feel like that's a little bit of our takeaway of the day is when we look at all these past sins all these corruptions that led to even thousands of years ago in a way is where we're only talking like 2500 2250 years ago uh that we had to deal with lineage lines that were so corrupt and became such you know if you want to consider it to be like the snowball effect that turned into these giant demolishing and destructive things we really can't I guess for the takeaway would be in our personal lives, let these things snowball roll out into these giant things. Okay. If it seems simple at point a, I'm just saying this on a personal level, then resolve it at point a point B. Don't let it build up into something that is destructive, demonic, or just straight up not going to help either one of you out if you're talking about a one-on-one or even in a situation where you are in control of a certain amount of power whether whether it's uh, a few trading cards or it's uh, <laughs> or it's your entire neighborhood because they're part of the hoa you really got to consider a lot of these things about how they can build up into something very bad or very good and that first step is involving the lord you you, t- you involve the Lord at step one, and you're good from there on out. Keep him in mind, keep him in heart, and keep him in spirit. Couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, buddy. All righty. Thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. It's a completely private venture and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us at revelationondemand at gmail.com. God bless, and see you next time.